Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All the rest of the stuff we are going to talk about has nothing to do with Yusuke Kikuchi's potential success. It's the beard. I want everybody to know. <laughs> he says he's never thrown over 99 miles an hour in a game in his life. And he does it in February. <laughs> well, you got to let him get loose. So it's not quite the same, but still tremendous numbers. And that's it's just financially worth it for them finally to, to, to do it. It always was. And welcome to episode number 258 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we have put together a special fake podcast to go with all of your fake baseball games. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the curiously confident or confidently curious Joshua Hausam. I couldn't decide what sounded better. How you doing, Josh? I'm good. I'm not confidently competent. <laughs> well, you could be that too. You could be two things. <laughs> it's a fake podcast. I'm not allowed to be. So that, what is a fake podcast? Is that just like speaking to someone in person? Mm. It's all visual. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> for for, for our depth. watchers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, So the Blue Jays are out there being blue and Jayish, uh, doing split squad games and things. We've seen... Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with early power. Um, there was a discussion with Alec Manoa about his playoff failure uh, last year in the first game of that series. Um, we'll move on to talk about the pitch clock because Yusei Kikuchi uh, likes the pitch clock as much difficulty as some other people seem to be having with it in the, in the early going here. Uh, Jose Barrios is trying to get better again. Um, Nate Pearson is now a reliever. Ricky Tiedemann debuted. Is it Tiedemann or Tiedemann? Tiedemann. I got it right. Wow. I hardly ever do that. Kirk is going to be late to camp or was late to camp because uh, he welcomed a new baby to the world, which is really cool. But uh, we, we were supposed to talk about the baseball side of that as well. We have your questions and uh, we have a gold star for Rogers who did something and I didn't even hear it about it except Josh told me, but something I have been begging for for years and years. Uh, we're finally going to be able to hand him a gold star for that. 
So let's talk about dingers, Josh. Woo, dingers. <laughs> I love dingers. Do you want to hear the terrifying truth? <laughs> <laughs> or do you want to watch Vlad smack some dingers? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, first two games of the spring, Vlad went deep. Does it mean anything? No. Because I think we all knew that Vlad hits long home runs regardless. That's true. But, you know, it, it, it is interesting because Vlad talked about how he didn't like what happened last year and that he was going to try to change his approach a bit, that he was getting a little jumpy trying to do too much. And so we saw it last year. Like he expanded the zone a lot, um, especially compared to his first couple of years in the league where his plate discipline was one of his calling cards. It kind of went away last year. And we talked about that on the show, that he seemed to be trying to do a lot. So he said he was going to not do that. And look, as you said, it's like it's two home runs in the spring off guys that are not exactly world-beating pitchers. But it's still nice to see him hitting the ball in the air. And, you know, it's, it's nice to see him hitting home runs. It's better than the other thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, like, I, I can't speak to the, you know, the exact uh, at-bats, you know, that, that resulted in these home runs. Uh, but he certainly looked relaxed and powerful. That's what you really want out of Vlad Jr. Yeah, and both of them are no-doubters, which that's what Vlad does. But still, good to see. Yeah, and I mean, because only bad things can generally happen in spring training, I, I like things that are good to see. Um, so let's hope that we see lots more of it. I mean, Santiago Espinal also went deep in those first couple of games, so maybe he's on a, on a huge power streak. Uh, Alec Manoa got interviewed early in spring, and because there's nothing else to talk about, they went back and dragged him through the, uh, the debacle that was his start in the playoffs last year. But he had some insightful things to say, I thought. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I mean, it's a really tough situation for a young guy, right? Because he has this tremendous season, and then he gets tabbed to be the opening playoff game starting pitcher. And before anyone can even have a chance to just settle in, the Jays were already losing 3 to nothing. And, you know, he talked about that and how he approached the at-bats and worrying about Julio Rodriguez and, and I was like, that's not his game. His game is just go and do his thing and not trying too, too hard to get it by him for the strikeout. Just throw his pitches and that will work. And I, and that's part of the learning process that these guys have to go through. And that's, you know, the, the team has talked about, they've now known what it's like to lose a big spot so they can now go win one. And I think that's a good example of it. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how he was talking about um, knowing he led the league in hit by pitch, uh, and then instead of of executing more of a specific pitch, right? Instead of having a game plan, it was it was just sort of a rear back and finish this guy off. And I I think that it's an interesting like psychological sort of experiment there to think about how much of your energy is devoted into aggressiveness which obviously is a calling card of Alec Manoa, and it's important to him to be able to be aggressive and trust his stuff and be in the zone, but also then how much of your, your strategy is specific to certain pitches in certain situations looking for a specific result rather than just go get the guy. And it yeah, and, that, and that, yeah. that was a big thing. It's like the idea that he just like, he really wanted to strike out Julio Rodriguez. It's like, well, just get him out. You know, and he, I, I don't know. I, I just think that, Whatever he takes away from it, whether it's good things with things that we would think or not, the idea that he saw this situation and what happened from it and then has changed his mindset because of it, I think is the important part here. 
Yeah, exactly. But and, and it was really great that he was able to um to speak to that in a way that it was it was clear exactly that was exactly what he'd done. That he had thought about it, um, that he had obviously discussed it and that he had he had changed uh his thoughts about what had happened there. As opposed to, well, sometimes they get you, right? Like, because that's some some ball players. That's what you kind of hear from them. Also, you win some, you lose some, and that doesn't necessarily reflect the kind of growth you want to see in a young player. Um, learning, yeah, and I think I think you do want to get to that. There is going to be a point where that is what he'll probably have to say because he'll be at a mentally strong point, and so and that is the nature of the base of baseball. Sometimes you win, and sometimes you lose. But when you did do something that you think you can grow from, and you do, that's really important. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so the pitch clock has been an adventure a couple of times in spring training, uh, as it was said on Twitter, wow, I'm glad they're getting these kinks worked out in the pretend games. It seems like a really good spot to do it before it happens in the real games. So, uh, the first thing was a tie game bases loaded bottom of the ninth, uh, ended on a strikeout because the, or sorry. So yeah, it was because the batter was not ready in time. So I think it's also, it's the pitch clock is uh, something I don't think people ever think about the batter being too slow um, yeah. until now. <laughs> yeah, so there's actually three parts to it. The catcher has to be set. Not set, they have to be in the catcher's box. Ready. The batter has to be ready to face the pitcher with eight seconds left, and the pitcher has to throw before the clock expires. And the batter was not ready with eight seconds left. The catcher was still standing up. And then did this on purpose. The catcher, they were testing something out. He thought that the catcher wasn't set, therefore he didn't have to be, but the catcher is not required to be set. And so they they got out of a jam by using the pitch clock to their advantage, which I actually thought was very interesting. Uh, and then there was a situation in a different game where both the pitcher and the batter were not ready early enough, so the at-bat started with a 1-1 count. I mean, yeah, that I thought was a little silly. Why not you, just like offsetting you, penalties? You know, you want to speed games up, though. <laughs> like, yeah, everybody starts with a one-one count. <laughs> yeah, everybody starts with a one-one. First, first batter of the innings always one-one because it takes a while to come back from commercial. That's it's isn't just... that part of international baseball or something like that? Runner starts on uh, first and second with one out, and it's a one-one count or something. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, yeah, I mean, don't tell Manfred that that they, somebody's already doing that. Uh, yeah, but the pitch clock isn't all strangeness and weirdness and badness. Um, according to Yusei Kikuchi, he of the beard, which is clearly the answer. Now, all the rest of the stuff we are going to talk about has nothing to do with Yusei Kikuchi's potential success. It's the beard. I want everybody to know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like Samson, right? It gives him yeah. his power. Yeah. <laughs> so Kikuchi has now pitched twice on three days rest surprisingly but i guess when you're only throwing 40 pitches it's not so bad and the results the early ones have been excellent he in his first outing he struck out five in two innings and he gave up an infield single where he fell down trying to pick up the ball that was it that was the only hit he gave up and then in the in the second one he gave up a walk and struck out i think it was three in two innings struck out five in two innings in the first one i, I don't know if i said that but it's really interesting because <clears throat> What Kikuchi said is that the pitch clock forces him to just get the ball, get the sign and throw. And he kind of was getting in his head a little bit last year, which considering what was going on with his command, which was the worst ever, it's, you know, you can kind of understand. It's like Steve Blast disease, which is the famous thing where Ken Keel had it. 
where you just get in your head so much that you can't throw strikes, time is the worst enemy of that. Yeah. If you ask like Chuck Knobloch or Steve Sachs, the infielders who couldn't throw the ball to the first baseman, when they had to turn a quick double play, they had no, no problem. problems. The yeah. second they had time to think, that's when problems came. So for Kikuchi, this pitch clock actually might be really good. Yeah, and I, if if the issue with it is that he was overthinking his delivery, and, and it may or may not be that, right? Like, so far, but, sure. Yeah. But it can't hurt to see what happens if he's under some time pressure and is just getting the ball and going back and getting the sign. Um, yeah. Yeah, and cool. he does, does have a little bit of a different pitch mix, too, which was interesting. He He's calling it a curveball. But the Jays really are referring it to as a, as a, a true slider, and his other sliders more of a cutter. So he's got his fastball, which is 94, 95, can get up to 97. His slider, which is 88, 89, can get up to 90, 91. And his curveball, this is again <laughs> the way Kikuchi calls it, which is around 82, 80, 81, 83. That was a weird way of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> But it's really like they're all laterally moving. So it's really like a slider, a cutter, and a, and a, and a fastball. And then he's got his splitter as well. But it just gives him a different velocity band to work with. And that you know that could be really beneficial for him because he still doesn't have, it seems, great confidence in his fastball. Even that first outing where he was great, he threw eight fastballs and only two of them were strikes. A um, couple of them were close, but still, two out of eight. And he threw a bunch of his different breaking balls. So if, he, if he's going to pitch backwards, which is odd for a guy who throws as hard as he does, but if he is having that different velocity band on the off speed will really help him. Sounds like, uh, whatever plan he can come up with that, you know, either the fastball gets better or he has other stuff. Um, Jays are definitely on top of the, uh, these ideas, uh, already in spring. Um, new ideas for Jose Barrios, who we remind everyone when he was good, he was quite good, but he had this very bad to horrid thing that kept happening last year. Uh, and there's been a lot of kind of whispers that maybe this, this very bad when he's off is the new Jose Barrios. And I would like to believe that that's not the case. I have not really heard these whispers, but I, I have heard that I've heard. What should we look for in Jose Barrios? Well, <laughs> Okay, well, anyway, he must have heard them, too, because he's trying to do a couple of different things, really. Uh, he had his first outing of the spring, and he was mostly pretty good. He, uh, you know, had a couple of hard outs, but he got a couple of strikeouts, including one swinging, which is, and he, got, he actually got a bunch of swinging strikes. He's setting up a little bit closed, which, which keeps him, uh, from right-handed hitters, a little tougher to see the ball coming. And actually it would help with left-handers as well because the angle would be they'd see more of his back as opposed to just seeing the ball coming early. And it's giving his sinker a different angle to the plate. And then that's where he got some of his swings and misses, whereas last year his two-seamer just got destroyed. And so, I mean, obviously it's one spring outing. It doesn't mean a lot. But the other really noteworthy thing was that his curveball was different. And his curveball has really been his best pitch forever. So the fact that he's changing it off of this one season – Tell, I mean, does lend some credence to what you said, or you were, or you said you were hearing rather, that maybe something had to change fundamentally because it's now breaking downward more. Whereas his original one was almost like a slurve; it, it was slider movement, but a curveball. 
And this one goes almost more 12 to 6, which is actually better for platoon problems. Yeah, a, a neutral, a 12-6 curveball is almost split neutral, so it could help with his big troubles against left-handed batters that he's had for a couple years. I am here for the new hotness, Jose Barrios, 2023. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's... A season goes as goes Jose Barrios could go the season, right? Like he's the linchpin. Linchpin. If he's Jose Barrios of twenty seventeen to twenty twenty one, the Jays are in fantastic shape and might win the division. If he's twenty twenty two Barrios, you know they're probably going to be in that wild card situation again, which is not a horrible place to be, but it's not where they want. Well, yeah, as as we've learned, the the wild card can be quite wild, whether you like it or not. Nate yep. Pearson. The days of being Nate Pearson's starter appear to officially come to an end. At least for this year. <laughs> it's probably for forever, I I'd say, but uh so the Jays want to get value out of Nate Pearson. And he just has not pitched enough to be trusted to be a starting pitcher, which oddly <laughs> for the first time in ages, the Jays actually have like really strong bullpen depth. And don't have very good rotation depth. So if he could be a starter, it would be more useful. But he's going to be working as a bulk reliever. And we've seen how good Nate Pearson can be coming out of the bullpen. You know, Every time he's been a reliever in the major leagues, he's just absolutely dominated. So the hope is that he can stay healthy and do that. But I don't even know if he's going to make the opening a roster. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing that has happened where um, because of all these injuries and because of the amount of time he's had to work back uh, at each at each turn, it kind of feels like he has been leapfrogged more than once in, in, in the, you know, top pitching prospect role for the Blue Jays. Because the next guy we're going to talk about is now the new, the new bright star. Um, does Pearson still throw 99 miles an hour? I don't even know. Well, if you'd watched his outing, you would know because he struck out Josh Johnson at a 100.8 mile an hour fastball. So it's still there. It's still there. And, you know, this was a question last year, right? Because he came out in the spring training when it turned out he had mono and he was throwing 95, 96, 97. And it's like, uh, what's going on? This is the guy who threw 103 in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in, in that outing, he was 99 a bunch and over 100, of, uh, I think, three times. If he's doing that, I mean, he didn't even pitch that well. <laughs> it was, but if he's doing that, we've seen how good that can be. And I think part of the reason, you talked about him being usurped by first Manoa and now Tiedemann, who we're going to get to. But part of the reason that he's not going to be on the roster, or may not, uh, depends on how Mitch White recovers from his injury, is just that they don't have relievers with options. I, I think that if the Jays could, they would send Trevor Richards to the minors and put Pearson or Pop in the bullpen, but they can't do that. If they try to send Richards down, they have to let, they have to lose him. So Pearson and Pop have options, which just sort of puts them on the outside looking in. Again, as, unless Mitch White isn't ready to go by opening day, in which case Pearson will probably be in the long men or bulk reliever role. Makes sense. Uh, so yeah, the other guy throwing right around 100 miles an hour, a little shy of it, is the fresh new face of Ricky Tiedem. What, what year was he drafted? Uh, two years ago. Two years. 2021. Yeah, he's only pitched in the pro, in the pros last year. He, he worked in instructs in 2021, and then 2022 made his professional debut and made it all the way to double A. 
Now, let as me, a 19 year old, I was going to say, I, I believe he was injured when drafted. Was that the whole what the, the long shot that the Jays were taking with that draft slot? Am I no, I don't no, think so. I'm remembering the wrong no. guy then. My bad. Yeah. So, high schooler uh, gets drafted, comes straight to double A. I feel like there's no way we don't see him by August. But this is me getting excited. <laughs> well, so there are ways we don't see him by okay. August, but the idea I think here is that he looks so good in the minor leagues. And again, he was 19, by the way, you're thinking of their first rounder, Gunnar Hogland. That was the guy that there was injured, but they traded him for Chapman. But he looks so good as a 19 year old. And then he comes out in his first spring start, which is in February and throws the hardest pitch of his career. Of his, he says he's never thrown over 99 miles an hour in a game in his life. And he does it in February. <laughs> well, you got to let him get loose. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but <laughs> the, velocity does get sticky, they say, pretty quickly. But it's still that early is a little unusual. But it wasn't just the velocity. It was the location with the fastball. And then mixing in his slider and his changeup, his second strikeout was on a changeup. After he blew Baez away, Javi Baez, a major league pro, will chase, but he's you know he's an all star, or previous all star, and blew him away at ninety nine point four up in the zone. The command up and down with the fastball was just really interesting to see because that's been an issue for Nate Pearson, who <laughs> they were tying it back into that again. He struggled to move his fastball up and down in the in the strike zone, like Alec Manoa also doesn't have this problem. And Tiedemann, same thing. Like he can control his fastball height, which really allows him to miss bats and get out of jams. And if he doesn't get hurt, it's, it's yeah, he should be play, pitching meaningful innings for the Blue Jays down the stretch. Uh, last note I have from spring is Alejandro Kirk, a new father. Congratulations, Alejandro. Uh, it does mean that between his late arrival because of, of the uh, possible baby arriving, uh, which ended up being on the t on last day of February, I believe. Yes. So that's, the baby's going to be the youngest baby ever. Um, oh, wait, it's not a leap year. Um, <laughs> and uh, his his commitment to play for Mexico in the World Baseball Classic actual experience with this Blue Jays pitching staff is going to definitely be less than it would over the course of a regular spring training. Now, we, they haven't had a regular spring training because of last year's lockout. <laughs> yeah. So, um, they, so he had to pull out of the World Baseball Classic because of this. Oh, he did? Yeah. And, and it was because of what you're talking about. So that normally for catchers, it's more important for them to be in spring training than really anybody else. Because as you said, you have to learn the new pitchers, and the Jays have a couple of them. You know, they have Swanson and Bassett. Bassett, I think, will pitch mostly to Jansen, just as Ryu did, because he throws seven pitches, and I, that that just doesn't seem comfortable for anybody. <laughs> so give it to the guy who's used to doing it, who did it with Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, the the new actually, there's a new thing with PitchCom where the pitchers can call their own pitch. So that could really help with, with some of this situation. But the other thing that was really important and why Kirk is not going to the World Baseball Classic 
the World Baseball Classic is not using the pitch clock because that's an MLB rule and they play international rules. Right. And he just needs to get comfortable with it because, as we said before, part of it is on the catcher being ready, but also the catcher getting the signal to the pitcher in a, com uh, a convenient amount of time so that it gives them the ability to shake off if necessary is a rhythm that he has never had to learn. And if he disappeared in two weeks or two weeks, it was like six days. If he disappeared in six days to the World Baseball Classic and Mexico made a run, he would never get familiar with it until the regular season started. That's just not acceptable. So unfortunately, he can't he can't play for Mexico, which I'm sure he wanted to do. Yeah, I'm sure that was a difficult conversation, right? Um, not your typical reason for, for having to pull out. I mean, it's great that he's not injured. That is your typical reason for having to pull out of the World Baseball Classic. Um, I feel like in the long run, though, that's it's all going to kind of even out in the wash now that he's not going to the WBC. I, I thought it was... Sorry. I, have I been keeping up with some things? Yes. Have I been keeping up with everything? Uh, no, because the games are fake and it really doesn't matter. Um, but uh, I think in the, in the long run, it's probably going to be fine. Sure, what's going to be fine? His pitch calling, etc. Given that he now has, from now until, um, you know. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that he's not going, I think it's it, yeah. it, that it, you're that. But that's why, right? Like they were they were monitoring it, and there was sort of a cutoff point where, okay, if we want this to be him ready to go when the season starts, he can't. He, if the baby's not born yet, he won't be able to go to the WBC. And unfortunately for him, he crossed that point. So he's reporting to camp. They'll be reporting to camp, have reported by the time you hear this. But uh, yeah, it's just, it's too bad for him. Sorry, just imagining a hypothetical future conversation with the child. And you're the reason daddy never got to represent his home country. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. Oh my goodness. Any other spring tidbits that I don't have written down here? Yeah, I guess there was one. Uh, Tim Meza is trying to slow down his slider. Which is not normally what you hear. No. Uh, the reason for it is that, the, so we talked about velocity bands with Kikuchi. It's the same thing with him. He thought that his slider was too close in velocity to his fastball, which his slider was like 87, 89, and his fastball was typically 91 to 93. So I could see, you know, see that being an issue. I mean, there are also times where that can be a positive because it's coming fast and moving in opposite directions. You don't have time to make the decision. But also it means you can swing at the same time essentially every time. So he's trying something a little different because he did get really hit hard by right-handed batters last year. I assume that a little less speed on the slider could mean a little more break on the slider as well, if I understand. Well, theoretically, one yeah. Of, if it's one of moving the slower, of, it will break more. Yeah, one of the ways of achieving that is, uh, which could be interesting. Everybody's fiddling with something at this time in spring training. Uh, we're going to fiddle with your questions uh, after a short break. We'll be right back. I've been waiting so long to be where I'm going in the sunshine of your life. There we are, all dusted off and uh, cleaned up and feeling better. And now we turn our eyes to Twitter, which somehow is a website that is still running despite having fired everyone, and we go to your question. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. 
Now, how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? Uh, this is where I go to the email, or the, was it Discord or email? Email. Go to the email question, just to, to buck the Twitter trend. Deco Cuff uh, wanted to know your prediction. In which month of the 2023 season will the Blue Jays win the most games? Uh, this is because he uh, was unable to find the soft part of the schedule. Well, I mean, the schedule is now balanced, so it is automatically softer. More, That's... more balanced. <laughs> well, <laughs> softer, not necessarily. It depends on the strength of other teams in other leagues. But I guess the idea of not playing as much against the juggernaut AL East typically means softer. But yeah, I actually looked at the schedule because... It's the only way to really answer this question. And of course, we don't really know <laughs> because it's hard to say what some of these teams are. You know, when they, we know what we think they are, but I, I don't think anybody would have thought the Orioles would have done as well as they did last year and been a tough opponent down the stretch for the Blue Jays. But anyway, I still picked August because they have six against the Orioles, who I just don't, I still don't think are that good. Six, yeah, six against Baltimore. Three against the Nationals, three against the Cubs. And then the other teams they've got are Boston, Cleveland, and two, only two against the Phillies, which, oh, and they have the Reds too. So they're playing some bad teams and no great teams, other than maybe the two games against the Phillies, but it's just two games. Now, you said there's only one way to do this by looking at the schedule, and I counter that the the way I do it is uh, also a way of doing it, which would be to randomly select a month. <laughs> Fine. The only way to do this while actually trying to answer the question based on the way it's written. <laughs> um, I think that uh, the Blue Jays best month. I was going to say August, but now I'm going to change. I think it would be July. I think the return of Hyunjin Ryu to his his final form as a Major League Baseball player will spur the Jays into uh, into the best month of the season around the All Star break. That's my feeling. Okay. Yeah, you can write that down. It won't help. And so I, I, I'm changing it. The Blue Jays are going to win. They're not going to win the division, but they'll roll through the World Series, which adds mm. that adds 13 wins plus the one against Tampa. They'll win 14 games in October. Somehow that'll be the most they win in a month, but it'll win them the World Series. Yeah, we're not going to dig into your math at all there. Uh, L. Ellie Yelly Hart. Elasaurus at Mastodon.lol says, having grown up on a ball field, and I'm just literally picturing her, her house being in the outfield somewhere, um, and continuing to take every chance I have to play, which is super awesome. I know there's a special sensation each spring that never goes away. With that first step on the clay, initial throw, and catch, how would you describe the feeling of the return of baseball? Do you want to go first? To me... I it feels like the the difference between looking at a baseball card and standing behind home plate that going from that distant two-dimensional representation of things that is the whole hot stove season everything is all theoretical and then knowing that people are actually on the ball field you know, picking gloves and rubbing up baseballs and, you know, all of that stuff. Just it, it, it becomes 3d to me. I know it's a weird description. Uh, even though, you know, I'm still watching on TV in 2d, 
it just it springs to life. Uh, no pun intended. What is your feeling of the return of baseball? So I have some of the similar life experience that Elle is talking about here. Did not literally grow up on a ball field. My house was in a normal place. But I spent a lot of time there. And to me, it really is, it's almost like a return to familiarity and to familiar ground and to a comfortable place. Because I do love this game. And I, you know, I, I, <laughs> I mean, I do this podcast every week and I still play baseball and I coach baseball. Baseball is important to me. So... It, it, it's it sort of signifies the end of the the end of winter, even though winter's still technically going. When I see baseball being played on green grass, even if it's in a place that's you know two thousand kilometers south of me, it still feels like it is springtime and it is happy time and it's baseball time. And to me, those are all just really good things. So it's hard to put it in proper words, but it's just a comfortable, warm feeling. Sounds cool. Now we're going to have the downer question. Milk Seriously. Tea. Milk tea at milk tea 5271540. Now, some people say that names like that are like like Russian trolls, but I feel like we would be a weird target for Russian trolls. So, I'm going to assume those numbers mean something to you, Milk tea. Which player will disappoint by their standards the most this season? Each give a personal answer, please. What, what if we don't want to? <laughs> For me, I'm picking, <laughs> I'm picking Danny Jansen because I am not confident he can stay healthy on the field long enough. Uh, well, because you gave your answer, I think it's only fair that we each give an answer as well. Would you like me to go first? Sure, go ahead. I'm going to go with George Springer. And I only say that because George Springer is getting older getting paid a lot of money and is not going to be the premier, the primary center fielder for the Blue Jays anymore. Um, although he may do some time, a lot of time there. Um, I think that the combination of his recent injuries and his changed role and his age, everything else will kind of add up to not George Springer's greatest season. Sorry, George, if that, that happened. Okay. Uh, first off, we we do get bots, but they're all just Chinese artificial turf sale sellers. <laughs> yeah, they don't name. understand the name of the podcast is kind <laughs> of like a pun. Like it just, yeah. <laughs> it's very funny when we get the DMs. We have a good price. It's like, okay, that's great. Sometimes we uh, get asked to pay an invoice. I've seen. We, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how it works around here. No. With what money? <laughs> yes. um, anyway, my, my pick would be Espinal because he had such a good first half last year. And he made the all-star team despite this, the slowdown starting to come. But in the second half, not only did he stop hitting righties, he stopped hitting lefties too, which was when which his overall season numbers against lefties are fantastic. But in the second half, they just weren't. He was uh, considerably below average by every metric. And if he's not doing that, and he's not—he's he, not a guy who has ever hit righties well. Period. Then I struggle to see how he gets much playing time at all. And you know that's disappointing because he's the only guy who could play shortstop other than Bichette. But with Merrifield here and Biggio, I, I just don't see how he really 
has a place if he doesn't hit. And I just don't think he's going to. And now moving on from that bit of a bit of a lull, bit of a, a, a valley. Smiley Face Picnic says, do you believe in Kikuchi? Four scoreless innings in a beard can't be wrong. <laughs> Thank you okay. for acknowledging the beard. <laughs> so I think I'm on record saying this. I kind of believed in Kikuchi beforehand for the same reasons I believed in him before last year. Last year was such an outlier for Kikuchi on pretty much every level. He had never had that kind of command problem at any point as a pro, even in Japan, other than the year where he ended up having, I think it was Tommy John, but he had an arm injury of some kind. That's the only time in his career he ever walked that many people. So I think there was just something like just one of those years where thing, everything went wrong and then he's trying to change his mechanics and then it just snowballed. So I expected with a good offseason, he would be better. Do I believe he's going to be an ace? No, I don't. I just think he'll be a viable fifth starter. Yeah, and after his first start last year, you know, it was a very good start, like six scoreless innings. But if you could, if you could get six innings out of Yusei Kikuchi where confusingly, bafflingly weird things did not happen to his control, that would actually be... I, that's what I would have believed in when they signed him, right? He's, he wasn't expensive. He was just there to fill the back of the rotation role and give give a decent number of innings. So, yeah, I believe in that. But I, So here, I'll go on record with this one. Bold prediction, his ERA will start with a three. Whoa. How, how much fudge are they putting in the baseballs this year, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> that's my prediction. And if you'd like to know about how much fudge has been put into the baseballs, um, you can... Treat extra pellets. <laughs> yeah, you can subscribe to our Patreon, uh, www.patreon.com slash turfpod. Uh, you can check out there for uh, a minimal fee a month. You get access to a whole bunch of general baseball sort of thoughts and history uh, episodes. I believe we're up to, was it number 14 of, of extra pellets? Um, you can go back and, and Josh and I chit-chat about such things. Um, so always happy to have new patrons on board. Uh, you'd also have access to our Discord server, which uh, does have, if uh, there's enough people on it, live twice a month uh, chats during the regular season. So there, I promoted something. I, I hardly ever managed to do that. And I I'm thought gonna... you were making a joke initially, which is why I jumped in and ruined your promo. <laughs> that is the way it should be around here. Um, and for that, I give you a gold star and Thank for you. ruining my promo. We're going to hand out another gold star right now. I think that's rather brilliant. So I did good, right? I mean, I would have thought you'd get a gold star. You enjoy that. You've learned it. So for those of you who are new to watching the Blue Jays, and I don't know how many of there out there, uh, are you? Are there? Can't say it. The I'm Blue Jays, <laughs> the company that owns the team, also owns the television network that broadcasts all the games. And to my mind, the perfect synergy for that, instead of playing reruns of Poker Stars, would be to, at every opportunity, broadcast all of the games. But in spring training, despite sending reporters and people down there, the Blue Jays have, have never quite caught on to that whole idea do you do you know why that is josh no i don't it doesn't really make any sense because they've always done tremendous numbers for their spring training games as well so 
I can't say I really have any understanding of why they would not. I mean, this is, a, this is a company that had Ben Wagner broadcasting the radio call on his cell phone practically during COVID. But, you know, <clears throat> it, it is what it is. But, but I don't have that to complain about this year, do I? You don't. For the first time, maybe ever? I don't know. I, I, I believe it is ever. Me. I believe. The Blue, the Blue Jays will be sending a crew, camera and audio to broadcast every single home spring training game and they'll pay they'll pick up whatever road feeds exist if the other team is broadcasting it they'll simulcast it but or they'll what well, i can't think of the right word right now but uh they they will broadcast it on sportsnet and that's great like that for last year i think it was three or four games and then there was an outcry and they added one or two this year from the beginning game one till game 13 or 14 will be broadcast live on sportsnet Huzzah! Uh, you, uh, nameless Rogers TV executive, can come collect your gold star. Uh, just stop by my place. You can you can look me up on the employee list. It's all it's all good. Uh, all and right. one second. I think they were rewarded for this. They they're four hundred sixty three thousand people tuned into the opener. <laughs> okay, that's probably worth more than the gold star that I was going to give them, but it's fair. Yeah, so last year, and, and then this is the thing, this is not new. 451,000 tuned in for last year's first game, which I think is why they decided it was worth doing it this year. That's more than the Yankees average during the regular season. And the Jays are getting it for spring training games. Now, it's obviously not apples to apples. It's local versus national. So it's not quite the same, but still tremendous numbers. And that's it's just financially worth it for them finally to, to, to do it. It always was. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um all right. This means we have come to the uh most important part of the podcast. Where I ask you if you have a final thought. I do. So in the first part of the podcast, you asked if there was any other news from the spring that hadn't been mentioned. I saved the little nugget because good, good why not? We talked about Rick Tiedemann. Cause he's the name prospect he's the guy that is most likely to have top of the rotation type impact but he might not be the first one to come up and help and there were two guys who showed up to camp and have looked really good in the early going addison barger the shortstop who's not really going to be a shortstop probably is playing third base a lot in spring training hit a monster home run in the first spring training game he showed up he let I don't understand how someone built like him can play shortstop because he's like a what's the the brick bleep house like <laughs> <laughs> built like a tank, Josh. It's sure, a there you go. <laughs> he he's just very strong looking, shall we say? And it shows up. And he, the funny thing with him is he learned to switch to hit left-handed by watching Ichiro. <laughs> Does not hit like Ichiro, but he so he's looked really good in the early parts of camp. And Yasvers Lueta the Cuban pitcher who the Jays have just never been able to see pitch really because he, he when he, he first showed up, he got injured, Tommy John. And then he finally made his way back from Tommy John and it was COVID. And then in 2021, he got hit by a comebacker in his very first, or, or he hurt his ankle something on the very first batter of the season and <laughs> missed the season. Last year, he finally got the chance to pitch well, to pitch rather, and he pitched quite well. Bunch of strikeouts, big time stuff. And he 
through against the Phillies in Philadelphia, and he just looked fantastic. He he made Bryson Stott, who's a second-year hitter, but who had a really good, especially finish to his rookie year. He just completely overmatched him with his stuff. So we talked about Pearson and how he could be a tremendous bullpen weapon. Zulouette is the, another guy who, if reinforcements are needed, they've got him. So not, that means they've got Pop, Pearson, Zulueta, and Hagen Danner, another young guy who looked great in his minor league debut as pitching relief depth. And in the position player depth, they've got Barger. So they've got some guys, if injuries happen, that can cover. The, the rotation is just the weaker part. Sorry, that was a bit r- rambling, but there we go. Uh, my final thought is brought to you from uh, the Twitter account of Chris Bassett, who said this week, to the owners going for it and still making money, thank you. To the owners not going for it and pocketing hundreds of millions, be better. The false argument for yearly revenue loss is laughable, but honestly, just look up how much the team was purchased for versus its current value. I like a pro-labor baseball player. <laughs> so I'm going to give a shout-out to new Blue Jay Chris Bassett, who acknowledge- who is saying what I-, I think I am thinking. I know a lot of people are like, oh, well, they're millionaires. They, shouldn't- they should shut up, because a lot of people said that in the comments. And it's like, um, the alternative there is to give the money to the owner. So... Maybe the player's a better place for the money to end up. Just a thought. Yeah. And on that thought, I bring us uh, to the end of the podcast, which is where I say that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been episode number 258 of Artificial Tour. Artificial Turf Wars. <laughs> <laughs> we will talk at you next week. <laughs> <laughs>